Welcome to the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week, we're having a chat with Harry Bliss, founder and CEO of Champion Health, and we're going to talk all things well-being in the workplace, founder mental health, and hear his powerful story. Thank you so much. So, Harry Bliss, CEO and founder of Champion Health, welcome to the Form Guide. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, Rob. How are you? Doing good, man. I'm doing good. So that was the payback uh, by James Brown. So we're doing 70s funk this season, as I mentioned to you in the, before we went live. And um, yeah, the payback, I mean, it's just a great beat, right? Are you a funk fan? I, I am. Um, I probably looked as awkward there as I do on a dance floor on a, a night out. So uh, I apologise. I probably look like one of the in-betweeners for a few few minutes there. I saw you bopping away. I saw you yeah, bopping I away. I um, and I, I, love, I love this way we do the intros because pe- people, um, it's a bit of a thing as to how people react. You know, Carl, Carl Simons, who I know you know, just yeah. cracked on with his emails while I was doing oh, it. I love it, was, it. It was brilliant. <laughs> no, and, and, and then Faye McGuinness was really getting into it because she loves love a bit it. of dancing. So... Um, yeah, the payback, you know, a loose theme for us in terms of paying it forward, actually, in terms of our stories translating into um, positive action on workplace well-being. And we're going to talk about all of that. Um, so welcome to everybody on the live. We've got Nicole Mapleson. We've got Sarah Restall, of course. Hey, Sarah and Paul Burgess. Good to see you there. Um, so this is the form guide. And we will start with the same question, Harry, and I'm sure you're expecting it from me. And that is, how are you today? Out of 10. So for me, eight out of 10, as you can see. Um, I've just got back up to full operational speed after my holiday. Sleep has been a bit challenging for me, but last night was just perfect sleep. Up early, feeling good. How about you, sir? I'll tell you what, perfect sleep is the dream, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I would say, are we working in decimals? Can I go between a seven and yeah, a... Yeah, yeah, you can have a decimal, yeah. I'll go for a 7.5 there, Rob. So doing well. Um, would love to just get that extra surge of energy, I think, that you've got um, following the, the wonderful holiday that you've just been on. Um, but I'd say I'm a 7.5, a solid 7.5. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that's that's good. Well, let's see if we can surge you up to to an eight with an uplifting uh, discussion, and um, yeah, we can uh, be, be feel a bit connected here. So let us know how you're doing on the live on your form scores. Um, Sarah Restall, t- morning to two of her faves. We we love you too. Um, it's good to be here. So look, we're going to talk about uh, well-being in the workplace. We're going to talk about fundamental health, and we're going to talk about your story. But first of all, guess what would a perfect ten day look like for you? What would a ten out of ten day be if it if that's such a thing? exists i think it would it would be carried forwards from another day and and a good week i think that's important um it would start with um me and my my partner um if i was working my partner not working she gets up at 6 30 and works 13 hour shifts as a nurse so this morning i've not seen her so i think it'd start with seeing her going on a short walk around the block and around the around Bencliffe park my local park it would then have a bowl of porridge without a shadow of a doubt so that's my breakfast of champions And then it would start with conversations like this with mission driven people, whether they're in the field of mental health or whether they're just wanting to improve the mental health of the people in their organisations and connecting with people that really want to make a difference. That would be my 10 out of 10 um, working day. And then towards the end of the day, it would be a lovely meal out um, in one of Sheffield's fantastic gastro bars, pubs, whatever it is. Um, I think that would just top it off with the, uh, the cherry on the cake. Yeah, that sounds good. And I think yeah, really, really interesting that you, you you mentioned a conversation like this with mission-driven people. And I think, you know, that sense of purpose and what we're doing in terms of trying to make the world a better place. I think that, for me, that work stuff would form part of a perfect 10 out of 10 day. Just, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd be certainly having a dip in the sea. I'd probably be DJing at some point in the day. I'd be spending time with children and family. But there would be some professional connection on 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 this sort of stuff so I'm, I'm with you on that so look um we're gonna do a quick fire round this is something i haven't asked you to prepare for so if mental health were a series of things i'm going to okay. ask you what what comes to mind so for you harry if mental health were an animal what would it be it would be it'd be a dog i think i absolutely yeah. love dogs um dogs are excitable um they are yeah they, they, they just bring me so much joy and that's the way that I want to see a lot of mental health is around flourishing um, as well as the other end of the spectrum that we talk about in terms of struggling or even in crisis but I think dogs are that companion they're there next to you um, and so I think that would be my, my animal of choice. 
Yeah, a really good one. You know, bringing joy, companionship, and also you know the connotations of the black dog in Winston Churchill yeah. as well. It, it covers the, the 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 full scale. Yeah, the mental health dog. I like that. So, mental health or color, Harry? What would it be? Let's go for rainbow. Um, yeah. I like it being a, a spectrum of colors. It changes regularly. Um, it's something that's quite beautiful, I'd say, um, without getting too spiritual with it. But I think that it's something that yeah, it, it changes. It's something that's there um, all of the time um and needs to be celebrated um as much as anything yeah i, I like that the rainbow of colors and, and we've obviously got the scale of form score that go yeah. through the darker colors through the reds up to the, the blue skies so um, again we're, we're aligned on color so um um todd sorry to hear todd hotwood sorry to hear you're five today lockdown in sydney <clears throat> tough times down there my thoughts are with you my friend um if mental health harry were a food what, what comes to mind there food um I don't know if this is just because I'm from Yorkshire and I've got to apologise for the uh, the listeners at 9am or if you're in Sydney, it might be later on for my uh, dulcet Yorkshire tones, but a Yorkshire pudding, let's say. Um, so I absolutely love my Yorkshire puddings filled with gravy, you know, flowing over the top, Rob. Um, I don't know why, but that's the first food at 9am that's come to the, the top of my mind, which is, uh, it probably reflects poorly on me. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I do like to overanalyze these, Harry, right? So, um, you know, the, the Yorkshire pudding. So if we think about the, the Yorkshire pudding is a capsule, right? It's, it's, it's an edible capsule and you've got your gravy and you can put other things in there, right? You could put some of, you know, I've seen Yorkshire pudding served with a whole roast dinner in them at times. Yeah, but that's it. You know, and you've got a load of things within there. And and I, I kind of like the texture of a Yorkshire pudding. It's yeah, kind of crispy, yeah. crispy, yeah. buttery, softy, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, definitely in terms of, you know, my own mental health, a Yorkshire pudding would be a good way of describing it. For well, sure. Rob, when you come up to Yorkshire and when we meet for the first time in person, obviously we've met many a time over um, all of these methods, I'll take you to a place that does a Yorkshire pudding wrap. So um, that, that's my promise to you following, following this line. Amazing. I will take you up on that, sir. So if mental health were a song, a song or a piece of music, what comes to mind there? What comes to mind? Um, again, I think this is because I'm from Sheffield, but you know the Arctic Monkeys, don't you? Of course, you, yeah, yeah. I think Mardi Blum. Um, so for anyone that's not from Sheffield, the word Mardi is a little bit grumpy. Um, it's a little bit of a humorous term. I think it's, uh, it's very northern and very Sheffield-based. Um, but the song Now Then Marty Bum, um, yeah, just yeah. a little bit of humour to it. Um, yeah, I think that would be my song of choice for, for mental health. Amazing. Yeah, Marty. It's such a great word, isn't it? It's yeah. such a great word that, you know, it's a bit cheeky, but it yeah. does. it's very descriptive if you're in that frame of mind. Exactly. Um, it snaps you out of that frame of mind. It snaps you out of being slightly grumpy. If someone calls you Marty, you always go, I'm not Marty. And then you suddenly start to... to, yeah. to yeah, it's kind of linked to that <clears throat> self-awareness of mood, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're right. I am. Okay, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if mental health were a holiday destination, Harry, where would it be for you? Uh, so Northumberland is my favourite place to go in the UK. Um, and I, I, I just absolutely love it up there. There are beaches that you can just roam for miles. You've got your space. You've got excellent British pubs, um, British beer, really great British food as well. Um, I love the accent and the people and it's just the place of choice. It could be slightly warmer, but as probably the listeners or the watchers could see, I'm very pale skinned and uh, I've got ginger hair, so I don't sunburn too much there. Um, but I'd say Northumberland is my place of choice. Um, it's just really raw, authentic. And I think authentic is the big word that I'd use about anything mental health related. Yeah, authentic. Yeah, lots of choice. I love it. Um, and then finally, if mental health were a sound, what sound comes to mind for you? I don't know why I thought of this, um, but a bell. A bell. I'm, not, I'm not too sure why. It might be because I've done my meditation and mindfulness practice this morning, um, yeah. and it started with with the bell that, that you'll be familiar with, Rob. So I think that's the thing that came to mind straight away. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good one. We uh, when we do the edits of, of these for the podcast, we have a, a Tibetan singing bell, um, and actually for the Inside Out Awards, rather than have you know those rubbish corporate trophies, we just bought a load of of, of handcrafted singing bells, and we, um, we've got those to distribute at the Inside Out Awards as a as the prize for the winners. So um, apparently, you um, you shouldn't get them engraved because it affects the uh, the, the the sound of, oh, of the okay, bell. So, yeah. so we uh, we we just put a card with them, but yeah. I like that. So I'm going to put all this together um, in, a, in a bit of an image for us. So we're in Northumberland and, and there's that wide open territory we can see down to the to, to the beaches. Now it's kind of it feels like a bit of a blustery day to me. 
Um, we're in one of those fantastic pubs sitting outside that you mentioned, and we've got these amazing Yorkshire pudding wraps that you're going to get me in Sheffield, but they happen to be in, in, in Northumberland. Yeah, we've got a couple of dogs kicking around. Um, the Arctic monkeys are playing in the background. And then, um, you know, we, the sky is this sort of rainbow of colour. And, you know, we hear this bell and it kind of makes us just really stop, be in the moment and enjoy this, this scene that we're in. I think that'd be my 10 out of 10 day, Rob. <laughs> Perfect. Well, there you go. So we've, we've, we've achieved that in that image. And what I love about that one is, is I do do these for, for all of my guests, is that one is really achievable. That could happen, right? Yeah. You know, some of them, you know, we're kind of on the moon or we're in the Bahamas or whatever it might be. Uh, with giraffes in the wrong place that but that could work right northumberland you and i dogs everything sounds good so so look um tell us a bit about you do, what you do you're, you're obviously the ceo of champion health tell us a bit about that sir, for those that don't know so i founded champion four years ago I, I was working for the largest well-being provider at the time and really what i wanted to do was to make well-being inclusive accessible and engaging so um, I founded Champion um, early on, and really the, the vision for us is to develop the Netflix of well-being. And I know we spoke about it previously, Rob, that there are so many different well-being providers. It's a very noisy space, but our vision is to bring all areas of well-being into one unified platform to make healthier easier for people. So if you want to do some mindfulness meditation, you've got that in one place, one login, one click of a button. If you want to do a seated workout, for example, or yoga, Pilates, you've got that in one place. If you want to learn more in a masterclass about the menopause, again, you've got all of that in one place. And something I talk about regularly is personalization as well. And so the personalization of the platform. So that's the employee platform in a, in a nutshell. You've then got the leadership hub, which is all of your data-driven decisions for senior leaders. And that's the big thing. And, and I'm sure you're, you're hearing the same, that we need the data to support our team to know where best to allocate our time and our resources when it comes to well-being, because we've not got infinite time and resource when it comes to that. So we develop well-being reports, we build robust well-being and evidence-based strategies for companies that really are long-lasting, and, and that's the objective for Champion. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and, you know, super, super great platform. And, you know, you've kindly given me a demo of that. And, uh, you know, really like what you guys are doing. And you're building a great team as well, aren't you? You've just, just hired a well-being lead, is that right? Yeah, so Dan's just started, maybe listening into this. So hi, Dan, if you are. Um, but yeah, so we, we've grown quite rapidly. There's Jack, uh, Jack Green, who uh, obviously you know very well. And I'd say the hardest thing in business that I've learned is recruiting the right people that share your vision, your ethos. Um, but it's the most important thing as well. Um, and I know you've just hired someone that's, that's really hit the ground running as well um, in sales and, and customer service. And I think it's, it's so important for startups to get the right people early on and then continue to get the right people going forwards. Yeah. And how do you, how, you know, if you can recruit in different ways, can't you? How do you make sure that you're getting the right person? What's your process like to, to do that? So the big thing is growing my personal brand um, and people engaging with me on LinkedIn. That, that's the way we've actually recruited almost everyone. Now, one of our recent recruits, I won't name names, um, got turned away after the first process. We gave very, very honest feedback to them, um, almost too honest to the point of I thought, is that a little bit too harsh, if anything? He came back and said, thank you so much for that feedback. We then recruited a similar role three, six months later. He implemented absolutely everything. And that was the individual that I want, someone that is going to listen to people, um, someone that's going to learn, is willing to get their hands dirty with it. Um, and it, they've been excellent since they've started. And I think that was a, a huge learning for me is that if someone isn't quite right the first time, give them the right feedback and then they'll come back again if they're the right person. Um, and so that was one amazing learning. But I'd say a lot of our recruits have come through um, LinkedIn, realistically. Um, we've stayed away from recruiters um, and some of my friends are recruiters, but it's very hard to get the right person um, from, from going out there and in the recruitment world. So that's been the main method of, uh, of us recruiting the right people. Yeah, fantastic. And I love that bit about giving, actually giving feedback for one. Mm. I know you've posted on that before. You know, lots of organizations don't give feedback yeah. for people that take the time to apply, which is not great for their well-being and their mental health. Absolutely. But giving constructive feedback for when, when people slip up or not slip up, but are just not the right fit at the yeah. right time or not have that experience. So that's great. Uh, Dan has said hi. Hi, Dan. Welcome. Um, good to have you uh, on the LinkedIn Live. And uh, wishing you all the best in the new role um 
so talk us through a bit about your backstory, if you don't mind, and what led you to be founding uh, Champion Health. So I so I founded Champion, as you can probably tell. Uh, so four years ago, 24 years old. Um, I worked for the largest wellbeing provider, as I mentioned, for a year. Um, and I, I just wanted to make a difference. I always knew that I wanted to run a business. I didn't think I was going to be doing that at age 24. And we were founded with a very strong team of academics from professors in neuroscience, behavioral science. And I know you've just got a behavioral scientist, which is one of the most important roles if we're looking to change behaviors positively for good. We had um, cognitive behavioral therapists all the way through to sleep experts. So that team was perfect. But what we were lacking, if I'm being completely open and honest, I had a squeaky voice. I couldn't grow a beard. I still can't grow a beard. <laughs> but I needed to find someone that could support me in running a business. I had no business expertise from the operational side of things. So I approached a friend of mine. I coached his kids at cricket. And I got to know him really well through the local cricket club. His kids are fantastic, really community-led cricket club. Um, one of my happy places as well. And you know those people that don't have the time, but they find the time somehow. That was James for me. He was a global director of a FTSE 100 company, one of the youngest directors. And his career had gone from strength to strength to strength. He invested a huge amount of time, energy and expertise into me and into Champion. And we wouldn't be working with the global brands that we are from the NHS through to global banks if it wasn't for James. Now, six months into Champion's journey, I received a phone call from a very close friend of mine that also coached James's kids. And he informed me that James tragically ended up taking his own life following a short bout of stress. And this was someone that was um, probably the most successful person I've met, um, wife and two kids, or partner and two kids, raised over three quarters of a million pounds for charity. Someone that everything that they were doing was with the best intentions and for him to end up taking his own life it was a huge shock to me and it really woke me up in terms of this space that we need to support everyone it's not just those people struggling we need to support people like James whilst they're thriving and how can we support them to continue to thrive and be able to have the awareness and how to support themselves and other people but also how can we get to people earlier on when they are struggling that early intervention piece that is absolutely vital in our well-being strategies so that's really the fire in my belly. I'll be quite honest. I think if that incident hadn't happened, I don't think we'd be as impactful as we are. Um, that's led to me, and, and I'm sure you've got that extra fire in your belly from your personal circumstances, Rob. But yeah, you, you just work that extra yeah hour, two hours, whatever it is um, that you put in to have that extra impact and legacy. Yeah, well... Thank you for sharing uh, that, Harry. And, and you know, first of all, you know, publicly here, I'm really sorry for your loss. And you know, every uh, every suicide has a, a an impact that touches many, many people. And um, you know, I'm sorry for for, for what that has uh, put you through. But also, um, it's wonderful to see that the legacy of James, in in terms of your legacy, is is action, it's inspiration, it's motivation to to make positive change. Um, and, and it's it's important. We obviously both uh, know Steve Steve Philip, and you know yes. him very well. And you know, similarly there with the loss of his son uh, Jordan, um, you know the amazing work that he's doing as an anti-suicide uh, campaigner and suicide awareness trainer. Um, you 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 mentioned one thing there that I wanted to pick up on that I think is important is helping people thrive more of the time you know and, and I, I talk a lot about that continuum of struggling through to yeah. to thriving and if we use the form score scale it's you know if we're a seven or an eight out of ten how do we how do we stay there for longer rather than dipping in and out of the fives and the sixes and then back up and down um and and for me do let's try and frame my question here I think a lot of the attention in, in workplaces um, to date has been on supporting people who are struggling, raising awareness about mental illness, um, yep. having first aiders, um, which is great and it's required and it's needed. But do you think there's been enough thought on proactively managing well-being and helping people thrive more of the time in our workplaces? I think if we're to look at where our time's spent and we're to break down our time and energy in our organisations, you'd be looking at a minimum of 70, 80% of our time focused on reactive interventions. 
Hmm. Now, when we say reactive, some people then assume that's a negative thing. It's not at all. We need the reactive interventions in place. We need the things such as an EAP. We need the mental health first aiders and people trained up in mental health um, and supporting other people. But we also need to focus on, and again, if we're to break down the proportion of the organization that's thriving, hopefully it's 70, 80, 85% of the organization. And so let's look at, we're spending 20% of our time focusing on that population. It needs to just shift quite simply. And we need to spend more time focusing on the proactive elements. We don't want to ignore the reactive elements. They don't play against each other. They play together. And I think that's really important. They feed into each other. So I think there's a lot of work that we need to do within organizations around that proactive element. How can we support our people to thrive? Looking at positive psychology and for people that aren't too aware of positive psychology, looking at really how can you flourish um, within your organization, giving people the training upstream to be able to support their own mental well-being, giving people the training to be able to support the people around them, making sure that we develop that psychologically safe space and we've got the right conditions and environment for our people to thrive. I think that's really where we need to focus more of our attention. We still need the reactive elements and and we can't ignore that, but we really do need to focus more upstream in terms of our wellbeing initiatives. And I'd I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on that as well, Rob. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, if you look at the Deloitte analytics that um, look at the costs, you know, the biggest cost is um, of mental ill health to UK employers is presenteeism. So, you know, that is people who are languishing, uh, in, in my terminology, would be a, a, a six or a five out of 10, you know, yeah. don't have a disorder, but are not thriving. Yeah. Um, and that's 29 billion out of a total of potential 45 billion. And that number's gone up since that, that study for sure. So, for me, I think that's the great opportunity for, for workplaces to engage the whole workforce on being intentional about well-being to stay thriving or be thriving more of the time or be you know, at that end of the continuum yeah. more of the time. But that I think that becomes a challenge then. I mean, you, you spoke about you know, Champion in, in, in the mission of being inclusive um, mm. as a well-being provider. For me, I think there is a, there is a, a hurdle to overcome in workplaces of persuading the person who has good mental health generally who's a seven out of ten mostly who's never had a mental illness and may not have a family member that's been touched by one that actually prioritizing their well-being is a worthwhile thing to do and for me that's a sort of educational and inspirational bit to try and engage the whole workforce because I think it's it paradoxically it's easier to engage the the people who are struggling because they're struggling um, and it's very real and present but a lot of people, because of the stigma of mental health, will think, ah, this mental health stuff, this well-being stuff, it doesn't apply to me because I'm okay. But it's not about that, is it? It's about trying to be a little bit um, more towards that thriving end of the continuum. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's only when and I've, I've had my own struggles with my mental health at university. It's only when you've been through that that you recognise the importance of them proactive Um, and positive mental health going forwards. And there's an analogy that we use regularly that human beings are much more likely to engage with things that are painkillers rather than vitamins. At the moment for a lot of people, the vitamin is a nice to have. Hopefully we take it in the morning, but if you forget, it's not the end of the world. But when the pain's there, you need that painkiller. And that's really where the reactive support is. That's that's the painkiller because people are in that pain and they're struggling. They need that support there and then. Whereas the population that's thriving, we need to work extra hard to be able to continue um, to be able to support them to continue to thrive. Yeah, I think you're right. I love that analogy. Actually, it's a it's a it's a really good one. It's there's something about the human condition, isn't there, that we you know it's easier to focus on the things that deal with the negative than yeah. amplify the positive um and, and uh, you know you mentioned jack green i think drawing some of the analogies of um the elite athlete is quite helpful in this yeah. where, where corporate athletes are concerned because actually what 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 elite athletes will do is they they will they will bring their weaknesses up but actually they will they in terms of training it's it's a lot better to really prioritize strengths because you can then show a lot more um improvement right yeah and i think i think there's so many parallels between sport and, and business um and the learnings that and i'm fortunate enough to work with jack and the learnings that i've had from jack are just incredible in terms of that world. We've actually got a a live session at 11 with Kate French as well, 
this morning um, on did mental health take gold at the Olympics and yeah. a huge shift even within sport. Jack was one of the first within British athletics in 2013 to talk about his mental health. So I know that sport needs to go some way to be able to improve as well. But there's a lot that we can take from that world to be able to, to optimize the mental well-being of our organizations. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, recovery is the main one, right? Mm. So if you look at what an, an athlete will do, they'll push themselves hard in training to improve, but they'll yep. improve while they're recovering. They'll push themselves in competition when they're performing, and then they will recover before the next training cycle or event. Whereas your your corporate warrior, your corporate athlete will push, 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 maybe take some holiday if they're disciplined, maybe, you know, maybe not work at the weekends. And ultimately we start to see overload, burnout, exhaustion. Um, and I think for me, it's it's under recovery that we see as an issue in the workplace. Do you see that in terms of, I guess, conversations and what you see on the platform? Yeah, with, without a doubt. Burnout is one of the main areas, especially at the moment, as we, we're not getting that human interaction as we would have done previously. I'd say there are so many individual instances within any organisation, whether it's been homeschooling for people. We know that domestic abuse is one of the a huge area of well-being at the moment, especially working from home. But it's so hard for people that haven't got the training and awareness and skills to be able to recognise the signs of burnout until it's too late. And that's a huge thing is being able to, again, banging that drum of supporting people upstream, because you can't really tell if you're if you're an office worker or a desk worker, your fingers don't get tired, for example, if you're typing all day. It's other signs. Um, it might be your eye twitching, for example. And that's where we need to be able to support people in spotting those warning signs. I'd say in terms of the data that Champion's holding, there's around 15 to 20% of the organisation that's at high risk of burnouts at any one time. Now, two, three, four percent are off sick at any one time. We also know that 20 to 30 percent of organizations are experiencing moderate to severe depressive symptoms. And so that's where we need to focus again on the population, not that are just off sick, out of work. It's a population that may be struggling in work um, to be able to support them. And, and we need the one to one conversations. I think that's a huge area for organizations to focus on to be able to truly get to know how our um, employees are doing. And that's a challenge, isn't it, when we're, we're more remote and, you know, we're obviously organisations are transitioning to whatever hybrid solution they come up with. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot about, you know, teams having fixed times in the office where they agree to be in those, those together on those days. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing others of people being forced back to work and that's creating some discontent. Um, but what, what's your view on how can we effectively, you know, check in with people in the workplace when we're not there physically as much as we used to be so i'd say the first thing is to promote line managers or promote people to line managers that have emotional intelligence rather than have mastered their job yeah. and that's in any sector you look at the education sector if you've got children a lot of the people that are promoted are good teachers but are they good leaders the two very different things and two very different skill sets now if we're going to promote people from doing a good job we need to make sure that we've got training for them before they get into that position of being a line manager and a people manager, that they understand the skills, they know how to spot the warning signs, they know how to have the conversation. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is the word that I will use in any well-being strategy, is authenticity. Mm -hmm. Things can be seen through so easily. Now, I was out last night having some food with someone um, whose partner, their brother, had ended up taking their own life. And they were saying to me, what, what can I say to my partner? I don't know what to say. And I was saying, well, the, the most important thing is it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Is it from the heart? Is it authentic? And now I would rather someone said to me when I was in that position, something that's not quite right, but they meant it and they meant it in a really positive way, because I can tell that what we are getting to. And this is a major area is if people are saying the right things, but they don't mean it it just backfires. And that's a huge thing in terms of that authenticity within. Now, the third element is making sure the check-ins aren't, how can I say it, almost a check-in. They don't want to be too formal. They want to be informal. It might be um, a WhatsApp message. It might be a Teams message. It might just be a quick call and start that call with, as you, you're saying at the top left of your screen, Rob, how are you today? Mm. And so that straight away is the main focal point. If it's, have you got the work done, have a large conversation, you're not doing enough work. How are you today? And ending with that, again, people just see straight through it. Start with how are you today? Have different kinds of touch points. So they'd be my three points. Train people to be effective, emotionally intelligent line managers, 
authenticity, and then also just regular touch points that, that are, are not too fixed, I would say. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, that promoting people by the skills for the job or by the yeah. skills for the previous job. I mean, that's just a, a whole massive can of worms that, that has been in existence for a long time. But I think you're right, training to be empathetic uh, and um, vulnerable leaders that, that, that can actually check properly be able to check in with the in respect to the well-being of their people um i think the authenticity bit is really interesting particularly around language because i think there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of work on making sure that the right language is is being used by leadership teams on mental health and well-being but you're right people will see through whether it's just a tick box exercise and we're, we're saying we prioritize the well-being of you all and we've trained some first aiders which is i've got no issue with that's great but it's to, to cascade through an, uh, an organization authentically, it takes effort, takes management effort, and it takes a commitment from the top, doesn't it? And it takes empathy. It takes care as well. Um, and I, I, using the right language is crucial. Of course it is. But I would rather someone was authentic any day of the week um, and truly meant what they were saying. I think that's hugely important. Yeah. Um, so morning to Jennifer. Good to see you. Morning to Chris Carey. Good to see you too. Welcome. Um, so, f- so for me, I think John Flint, who um, I-, I love hearing John Flint speak of uh, previous CEO of HSBC. You know, he, he talks about, um, you know, kind of having the intent right at a leadership level and, and, and forgiving them if they get the language wrong almost. Yeah. But, you know, if, if we really care about the yeah. well-being of our people, we might not have the, the correct language, but, you know, it might be the language that works for them and don't beat them up if they get it wrong. Um, and then empowering managers to, to actually understand the benefits of yeah. prioritising well-being. And I think we need to do, do more of that. What do you see... in, in if you were to sort of stargaze for a little bit in terms of trends of well-being in the workplace, what you see happening over the next five years, what, what would be your view? So I think for global organisations, it's global solutions. That, that's one area um, that, that's occurring. I think there's you're, we're already seeing a huge conversation, rightly so, about the menopause. And I think that what we're going to find is that well-being isn't going to sit in silo. And in some organisations, it sits in silo away from L&D, so learning and development, away from diversity and inclusion, um, sometimes away from HR as well and, and, and people functions. So the key thing for me is integrating all of those areas, because what we know is that well-being is really it needs to be the cultural fabric within the organisations for then high performance to occur. And so all of our things from recruitment and staff retention all the way through then to performance reviews, we need to look at well-being as really the core baseline measure um, within there. So I think that's one place that it's going to move. The second area is then it's going to get more data driven. At the moment, we're using really poor indicators such as absence data. Absence data only tells us that two, three percent of the, the workforce population are off sick at any one time. Sometimes those incidences are misreported. So back pain when actually it's a mental health issue because of the stigma, for example. Yeah. And so what we need to do is look at 100 percent of the workforce. And so that's a crucial area as well. that We start to make data driven decisions all the way through. The third area is looking at all areas of well-being and bringing that all together. Now, you mentioned that you had an absolutely amazing night's sleep, which I'm jealous of last night. <laughs> and sleep for me is probably my main driver of my well-being. But for some other people, it might be around parenting and being a, a really good parent and having great experiences with their kids. For some people, it's connection. For some other people, it's actually around doing mindfulness, for example, and so actually taking action with their mental health. Um, so really, the crucial thing is to bring all areas of well-being together. Um, and that's really important because we know they all have a knock-on impact, mental health and physical health as well. And then the final thing is, and I mentioned it before, psychological safety. And we know that Google conducted a large review within their workforces and the most common theme throughout the whole of all, each of the departments that were studied was in the high performing teams, there was psychological safety. There was permission to speak, there was permission to make mistakes and errors, as long as then you didn't keep making the same mistakes and errors, of course. And that's really important. If I look at any organization that's thriving, psychological safety is really at the core of it. Do people feel comfortable to talk openly about any area of their well being or their work, for example? Can they bring up issues? with their line managers or, or do they work in fear? 
And we know that that's just not really a healthy or conducive environment to, to high performance. So they'd be my four areas to where I see well-being and workplace well-being really focusing on in the, in the next five years, Rob. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. I think the, the Google project, it was, excuse me, Project Aristotle, wasn't it? Um, yeah. and, and, and fascinating. I think, yeah, permission to fail, permission to learn from failure, permission to be yourself. Um, and I think psychological safety in the context of return to work post-pandemic is going to be really interesting and really important um, because the pandemic and you know, vaccinations and everything that's going on around it, being with people, everyone's going to have a different experience of this. Everyone's going to have different fears, different worries. Um, and, and I think we've got to be really mindful of trying to create psychologically safe environments as, as part of that journey. But I agree with you. And there's obviously the international standard on psychological safety that's, that's coming out uh, or coming in. Um, and that's quite interesting, but I think it's really creating cultures where people can be themselves um, and speak openly, as you say, I think the other bit that's interesting, you, um, you you kind of mentioned around the the you know the personalization, but also the inclusivity of it. That we're all very different. We're all faced with different challenges, um, and the theme for World Mental Health Day this year is around kind of mental health for all. Mm. And clearly, there are different groups in in our society and in our workplaces that are affected differently. I'll use race as an example, that racism will have a you know, very negative effect on mental well-being. But even the microaggressions that the black or Asian people would face daily will have a drain on their mental well-being. And for me, I think organizations have a duty with well-being as that cultural underpinning to look at, you know, supporting different groups in their in their workplaces a lot better would you have a view on that yeah so inclusivity um is crucial for any well-being initiative to be effective um you look at how many black therapists there are in the uk it's totally disproportionate to the amount of black people who are experiencing mental health difficulties at the moment and so there's a we know that there's a dearth in the supply of therapists but there's a huge dearth in the supply or black therapists, for example. And that's where, that's more of a societal issue. But what we need to do within our organizations is to ensure that the EAP programs, for example, they have the right level of support for different populations within the workforce. It's exactly the same for any other initiatives. I expect any organization that comes to sign up with Champion Health to really grill us on those key areas. How are we going to support people through the menopause, for example, all the way through to supporting people with disabilities? Have you got seated workouts within the platform if you've got able-bodied workouts, for instance? And I think inclusivity is a huge area that we need to focus on. And it's probably not being focused on enough within the field of well-being. Um, we really need to make things inclusive, accessible, and then for people to engage with those initiatives throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and welcome to Stephanie. Stephanie's joining us from um, uh, a, over in the US. It's very early for you today, Stephanie. So uh, thank you for commenting. But you know, appreciated the, the 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 comment on racism and microaggressions. It's certainly something we're working at at, at form to try and address too. Um, so. Uh, I'd like to switch tack a little bit. You're doing your podcast series, um, uh, which I was delighted to uh, to be a guest upon. You know, twelve minutes of well-being. Um, how are you enjoying doing that? Um, and you know, the craft of the podcast, Harry. It's great fun. So, in terms of the craft of the podcast, I must give credit to uh, to the team in terms of getting it on the podcast channels, doing all of the editing, all of the fun stuff that you'll be used to, Rob. But it's just great fun to be able to. And I started the conversation with my ten out of ten day is talking to mission-driven people, people like yourself. And that's really what the podcast is about. So for anyone that wants to access the podcast, you can do it on uh, Apple Music through to Spotify. It's called the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health Podcast. And the reason why it's 12 minutes is because there are so many podcasts, so many series out there at the moment, but so many people that want to work in well-being or do work in well-being, HR directors, for example, don't have enough time in their day to be able to sit through hour-long 90-minute podcasts. And it just came from me searching more when I was 24, when I was starting Champion Health, about workplace health because I wanted to learn more in the space. And there's just nothing out there that was bite-sized, that was really actionable. So that's where we developed this podcast. We've had leaders from the likes of Rolls-Royce. We've had yourself, Rob. Um, we've had Zoe Eccleston, who uh, is headed up well-being for PepsiCo, Vodafone, alongside other global organizations. And we want to just be able to give you that expert advice in your pocket anywhere at any time. So it's been great fun so far. And we've just finished our 10th episode, I think now, 
um, and we've got another 10 lined up. So if anyone wants to be a guest, I'd be really keen to hear from you. But it's been great fun. Um, yeah. And it, it, there's, there's something about, you say, it's those meaningful conversations. But yeah. I, I love these chats, right? It's one of the highlights of my week. I do them weekly. Um, and and you learn so much as an individual, but yeah. it's just you know, a feeling of connection through the through the the journey of discovering what the other person has to say, and it's all interesting stuff. Um, do you get that? Yeah, I, I just feel slightly blessed that I'm able to sit with people in the same space that are more intelligent than me as well. I can just sit there and learn from them. It's almost like my own mini masterclass from a selfish angle, but then I know that we're passing on the knowledge and the expertise to so many more people around there, and that's the great thing with technology. It's just the accessibility of it now. Before, there was no chance that we were able to get into tens of thousands of people's ears and brains and so on with the podcast. And, and that's something that really excites me about it. And it's gone down extremely well so far. Yeah, brilliant. Good for you. Um, so I want to talk about founder mental health. We're both founders and, and there, there are many founders out there. And to give you some context, I was on a, a clubhouse gig um, talking to a bunch of founders and, and, and one of them, um, I won't name them, uh, is a founder in um, a, a, a well-being solution. And we were talking about kind of founder well-being. And, and this individual said that they didn't, they thought, well, manage, as a founder, managing well-being was a luxury. And I was staggered at this. I know many founders might say that, but a founder with a well-being solution, it, it kind of, it worried me a little bit. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because as a founder, as a CEO of a startup, there's a, there's a million things to do. There's never enough time to do them. So you're always prioritizing what needs to get done. And often the inclination can be to compromise on one's own well-being, the things that keep us well. What's your take on that? And secondly, how do you make sure you prioritize your own well-being? What are your kind of tips on that to other founders that might be tuning in? So my, my first response is that well-being is not a luxury. It's something that we all have, and it's something that's absolutely vital for us to lead productive lives, happy, healthy lives. That's what we all want, right? Um, we all want to have a legacy and an impact in our work, find that sense of meaning. Um, but we all want to be able to, to also have those meaningful connections going forwards as well. Um, so I'd say that well-being is an absolute necessity to, to focus on. Now, in terms of the startup world, you have to work hard. I, I'm not shying away from that. You, you have to work hard. You have to be committed to what you're doing. You do have to work sometimes above and beyond the hours that you normally would work for another organization. So that's the first thing. I want to be completely open and transparent. And people might say, well, that's not looking after your well-being. For me, it's something that I love doing. It's something that is really ingrained into me. What that means is that I have to take extra care of my well-being. I have to do extra. I need to do the mindfulness. I need to focus on my sleep. I need to um, do that exercise every morning, for example, to be sharp. I need to take those break breaks regularly within the day. I need to take my holiday. And so that's really important that, and Jack Green will talk about regularly, that high performance and really well-being is the, the, the foundation of high performance. And that's so important for us to recognize. Now, Again, I'll be completely open and honest. And some people say, okay, you're the founder of a mental health company and a, and a health and well-being company. Your health and well-being must be incredible. It's not all the time. I'm human. I'm a human being. Um, it goes up and down. There are some excellent days. There are some days that are harder. Some people, and, and I think that's something that people need to recognize that working in well-being can also be quite taxing when you're talking to people about very hard-hitting subjects. You're talking regularly about something that, it's really important to you and means so much to you and you, you're so wedded to. But the thing that I've learned is to sometimes just disconnect myself with the emotional side. And that's really important for me. As you can tell by my voice and my passion, I am hugely passionate about this area. And sometimes that can then suck you in um, into then becoming slightly obsessed. And that's where I've had to learn to draw the boundaries as a founder and, and with my mental health. And it's something that I work on regularly at the moment and so I guess the key is to really focus on my well-being so I can be a high performer in the long term um, but you can't shy away from it as a founder you do have to work hard you do have to put in those hard yards early on and now I'm getting to a position where we've got an excellent team around me and I'm extremely fortunate that they are just exceptional and they're able to run with their respective areas and I can take that more CEO level and work on the business rather than specifically in the business. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. There's lots of good stuff you said there. I think um, that idea of well-being and prioritization of well-being fueling performance, I agree um, 100%. Um, 
and, and I think it's it's interesting. We've made this choice, right? We've chosen to be uh, founders. We've chosen to be CEOs of startups. Um, and, and we've gone in, I reckon, both of us with pretty open eyes about what that means. Um, and the other point that you make is around how... Um, passionate you are about it and it for me it doesn't feel like work right yeah. I've done jobs that feel like work this feels like a mission um, and the interesting bit for me is that normally I would manage my bipolar by cycling yeah getting out getting my exercise five times a week and long COVID has taken that away from me and I thought I would be absolutely devastated by this and, and don't get me wrong it has affected my well-being and mental health uh, in the last year but what I have found is that the the positivity the purpose um that i get from my mission of, of form score and inside out um actually take take the place of that a little bit and give me a boost in my own well-being now the other bit you say that i really agree with is you've got to be very very mindful about your well-being as a purpose-driven ceo and on a mission because you can work all, all hours god sends yeah. to uh, you fulfill that mission so the discipline um the the mind being mindful about it is is super important um do you do you diarize the the things like your mindfulness and the exercise do you make sure they're prioritizing in your diary and you try to stick to that so i don't necessarily diarize them what, what i do is make sure that every moment of my time that goes into the business is focused time and i've stopped using tick lists to measure my productivity i've started using the amount of minutes that i can do that's undistracted that has been a revolution for me um, in terms of my well-being and my productivity but in terms of my mindfulness and exercise what i've started doing is doing it at the start of the day there's nothing that can get in the way then there are so many things that can get in the way after work whether it's seeing my friends, seeing my parents, for example, cooking dinner, loads of different things. You might have had a long day at work that's been slightly stressful, for example. So doing those things in the morning, it's been gold for me. But I can't stress enough that this isn't what you should be doing necessarily. What works for me is very different to what works for other yeah. people. And I think that's really important to recognize as well. Because I fell into the trap in the past of saying, okay, this is what Bill Gates does. And this is what all of these people do. But they're all just individuals at the end of the day. They're all human beings and make things fit around your diary is something that's yeah. hugely important for people to recognize and take ownership yourself. Yeah, well, I think that's a brilliant point, right? There's the, um, the to be effective at managing one's own well-being, we need to approach it with a sense of lightness and curiosity yeah. and playfulness and trial and error. Now, I've had to do a lot of trial and error to survive my mental health challenge to survive bipolar. But actually, that trial and error just works for anyone wherever they are on that continuum. And, yeah, I hate flotation tanks. I'm going to put it out there. I can't stand them. After five minutes, I want to leave them. I love gong therapy. I love the sand bath. And, you know, it's just finding which nuggets work for you. Exactly. Um, it really interesting. So some lovely comments on the chat. I'm going to pick up on one question, actually, from uh, from Chris. Chris is a, a group director of health and safety, uh, to give you some context. But what are our thoughts on where well-being should be managed? Should it be managed by HR as well-being is or um, as well-being is critical for safety performance within an organisation? What's your view on where well-being should be managed in the organisational structure, Harry? That is an exceptional question, Chris. So thank you for asking that. I think this is the main challenge with well-being at the moment, that you've got health and safety where you are at the moment, Chris. You've then got HR. Within HR, there are so many different constructs from rewards and benefits all the way through to HR business partners. You've then got head of operations within the business. You've got the CEO. You've got the FD. You've then got all of the different areas, such as occupational health within the larger organizations. I could keep going on and on and on. And we calculated that 10 to 12 people within an organization, within different areas, could own well-being. And that can get really confusing. So I think the big thing for me, and this is where the next C-suite position is going to be, is hiring someone in well-being if you can afford to. That's going to be a huge area. And what their job's going to be is to bring in health and safety, to bring in the operational side of things within the business, to bring in the FD into the conversations, to bring in uh, diversity and inclusion all the way through to learning and development, through to occupational health. So they can be the glue between them because at the moment in quite a lot of organizations, no one's taking true ownership. And when we've not got that true ownership, it's bits and pieces. And it's really relying on the goodwill of people like yourself, Chris, 
that may have other KPIs at board level, for example. So I think that's a crucial area is to give someone ownership and it's not an add-on to their job um, from diversity and inclusion because the, the, it's just impossible to do the job properly. It's going to be a specific job role around wellbeing lead. If you're a smaller organization, that's where there are various organizations that can support you. Something that Champion are doing at the moment is actually putting wellbeing leads into organizations to be able to support them because you might not be able to afford 30, 40, 50,000 pounds per annum with national insurance on top. But I'd say for the larger organizations, you mentioned, um, Rob, that, that Chris is part of a larger organization, hiring a wellbeing lead is going to be crucial to be able to really put it on the map within the organization and setting KPIs for that yeah. individual yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that I'm, i mean for me i think well-being should report to the board and um, whatever the job title is I, I think it should be aligned to the board and i think well-being is that important as a strategic priority of an organization and i think forward-thinking organizations will have well-being reporting into the board um you're right in the rise of the C-suite uh, C-suite role. Stephanie um, uh, talks about uh, my good friend Jen Fisher, uh, Chief Wellbeing Officer of Deloitte. Yeah. Uh, Jen is also a judge on the Inside Out Awards, but Jen, you know, kind of created that role, and and I think we will see more proper Chief Wellbeing Officers uh, recruited in those larger organisations, um, and she's great. So, um, yeah, I, I would certainly agree with you on that. And I think we, we see, we're seeing organisations go on a journey and it's great you're supporting them through that journey with Champion. Um, but, you know, at the right time, it's investing in that dedicated resource, head of wellbeing or chief wellbeing officer that can report through to the board um, and, and the board making it that street strategic priority. Um, but you know, thanks for everybody in health and safety, uh, Chris. That is is you know, picking up this mantle of the mental health and well-being element of health and safety. You know, and I some I know some fantastic leaders that are doing that. So, um, you've got your twelve-minute podcast. I've got my golden nuggets for well-being. So this is like literally a soundbite. Um, so. It's a tough one for you, this, because I know you could um, you, you could have many difference. But what would be your one well-being golden nugget? What would be the one bit of wisdom that you'd be happy to share on managing our well-being? I'm just going to use one word, and that's authenticity. Now, when it comes to well-being, authenticity is everything. Um, as we mentioned previously, if we are saying the right things, but it's not coming from an authentic place, it all falls down and it backfires. If we're saying slightly the wrong things, but it's coming from the right place, it's coming from the heart, it's coming from a place that cares for the individual and cares for our team, it will be received so much better. And I think that's the key thing with any well-being initiative within our organisations for any line manager is that authenticity. So that's the main word that I will use for any effective well-being strategy. Be authentic about your well-being. Love it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Harry, thank you so much, my friend. It's been great to chat you. I, I always get to this point, and I think I, I wish I'd got one of those 90-minute podcasts that no one has the time to listen to, just because I enjoy the conversation so much. But um, thank you for investing your time and sharing your perspectives and your story. Um, it's been wonderful to chat to you. Um, this is the form guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. Our next guest, we've got Josh Krzyzewski, who is the global COO and uh, EMEA CEO of Mediacom. And Josh was actually the winner uh, of the executive sponsor category of this year's Inside Out Award. So really keen to get into uh, a chat with Josh. But in the meantime, Harry, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob.